In this episode, a Weasley slays a basilisk, Norway has a conflict of interest, and Noah gets slimed. Welcome to Fax Machine. Hey there, my name is Rob, and I'm here with my co-host Noah. Hello. And Emily. Hi there. And today we're here to revisit the age-old fax machine question, do animals suck? So Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Only time will tell. Yeah. So today we've adapted our script to discuss the frills and feathers of the animal kingdom and decide whether or not they make the cut. We did this episode about a year ago to some very controversial results. Mm. I don't know if you guys remember. Definitely. Pigeons rock. Uh, mm-hmm. What is it? Spiders. Spiders, Spiders rock. Oh, yeah. And jellyfish suck. That was the agreement. Those are the standings. Yeah. And yeah. so animals, two for not sucking, one sucking. Right. And we'll see at the end of the day where we stand on animals as a whole. Yeah. All right. Perfect. Uh, before we begin, it would also behoove us to mention we have a live show. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. So join us Tuesday, October 22nd at Caveat on the Lower East Side of Manhattan for our spooky show, A Science Seance. Uh, We have a special guest. uh, We have a host of frightening facts and as much nerdily named beer as you could hope for. So come join us at Caveat for another fun evening um, for our live show. My favorite is the David Attenborough. It's so good. Which is appropriate for our animals episode. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Very good. And in his honor, I'll do the entire show in a British accent. Uh, Are you going to do an he, accent? He won't. Yeah, yes, he won't, any, any moment please, now. Please come. <laughs> Let me know when you it start. <laughs> All right, I've t- just seen the majestic Rob Frawley <laughs> attempt his accent. Let's just stand and wonder at the majesty. I can't do it either. I'm just... <laughs> no. But I got his kind of whispery raspy. Not voice. all animals have a natural accent, though some may try. Anyway, tickets are available on our website now, and we'd love to have you there. Uh, We'll release some more neat teasers on our social media. So follow us on Twitter and Instagram at FaxMachinePod and on Facebook at FaxMachinePodcast. And if you like what you're hearing, give us a review on iTunes and put as many stars as you like, so long as it's five. Yep. (laughs) And with no further ado, we'll get to today's episode with Noah. Okay, so this week I learned that the conservation status of the least weasel is... Of least concern, which kind of makes Yay. it sound like the least weasel is telling you that its conservation status is none of your damn business. <laughs> and I just absolutely fell in love with the least weasel. Just so you know, a least weasel is just a weasel, okay? But its real name is the least weasel. If, if you keep saying least weasel, it will lose all meaning in just a <laughs> Least weasel, least weasel, least weasel. You ever like look at your hand and say hand a bunch of times and you're like, hand's a weird word. That's basically what's going to happen with least weasel. I think okay. it already has. <laughs> so I just want to say the least weasel is A, super tiny and very, very cute. 
um, and also ferocious and very aggressive. Mm. Um, so basically, these are little guys. They will routinely, although you know, usually forced by conditions, maybe like sort of normal preys, you know, not available. But they will be able to like take down rabbits, for example, that are about Ooh. five to ten times their size. So yeah. this would be like a human. I guess humans do this, but we are remarkably aggressive animals. But be like <laughs> taking down an elephant, but like with your teeth. You hmm. know what I mean? And there's, uh, I, I think, I think it's in like. I may be wrong, but the American Museum of Natural History, there's like a diorama with um, with like a rabbit and like a stuffed rabbit and a stuffed least weasel, least weasel <laughs> and a stuffed least weasel <laughs> taking it down with like bearing its fangs. So it's, it's crazy. And one of the really amazing, I mean, guys, so this is just, I mean, look, basic facts about the animal, not even like especially important for this fact. The thing that I want to really get across to you is that by virtue of its aggressiveness, it has gained a reputation for like going up against sort of a David and Goliathy sort of thing. Right. So it'll mm-hmm. take on like, you know, it'll try to like run at a human or something and be like, wow, that's a very courageous little least weasel. <laughs> that's a great children's book. Courageous <laughs> the little, little least yeah. weasel. <laughs> the least weasel who could. <laughs> um, and because of this cultures throughout history and across the world, all right, because there's a, a pretty large spread of these animals across the world, um, have had in their mythology and legends stories about least, we- least weasels. <laughs> it's, so, it's so hard to say, but I refuse to stop saying least weasel. Um, for example, the ancient Macedonians believed that to see a least weasel was a good omen. All right, mm-hmm. good start. Cool. In some districts of Macedon, Women who suffered from headaches after having washed their heads in water that was drawn overnight would assume that a weasel had previously used the water as a mirror. <laughs> but in in Macedonia, it was, I know such a weirdly specific thing. <laughs> they just took it for granted. To that. Okay. Um, but they would also refrain from ever mentioning the name of the least weasel. Because they were afraid that it would conjure them and that they would destroy their clothes. All right. This is one of the many legends. All right. So another one is there was a popular superstition in like Southern Greece um, that the least weasel had previously been a bride and uh, who was transformed into like a bitter little least weasel who was super aggressive and would destroy the wedding dresses of other brides out of jealousy. Wow! Did they did they eat fabric? Like, the, <laughs> yeah. At the very I mean, least, there's like a common thread, so to they speak. Have common thread. Like <laughs> these stories, but so I mean, do they have is... these little mammals confused with moths? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, what what I haven't told you yet is that least weasels can fly, <laughs> and they're attracted to bright lights in the night. <laughs> yes, um, I've zapped many of them. Um, no, but least weasels are super cool, and there are many more uh, superstitions, mythologies, and legends to get through, so please, quiet down. Um, no. <laughs> so, uh, according to Pliny the Elder, a uh, friend of the pod, the least weasel is the only animal capable of killing basilisks. Wow. What? Harry yeah. Potter didn't know that. What the hell, Harry Potter? <laughs> and so, so I've told you guys so about how... she was right there the whole time. <laughs> I know. That's exactly what I thought, because it was like, if only Ron had had more useful pet... Than like some rat, right? Least Weasley. Exactly, Least Weasley. <laughs> it would have been perfect, oh my God. and it would have just gone up in the Chamber of Secrets, and it would have been fine. They could have made it a little sweater, like for all the other le- uh, all the yeah. other Weasley siblings. Oh, oh, it would have an L on it. 
Uh, somebody ring up JK. <laughs> it would be nice for Ron because then he wouldn't be the least Weasley anymore. Yeah, can we... He would be the, the second last Weasley. Can we just decide that Bill is the least Weasley? Bill? Yeah. Percy? Oh, come on. He had a lot going for him. Except for the whole like... Wait, what's wrong with Bill's? Great. What's wrong with Bill? Bill's fine. Just boring. <laughs> Bill is a werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He didn't make his own joke shop. He didn't hurt dragons. Like, I'm kind of not, like, he's not doing it for me. Bill is a magical creature. He doesn't have to hurt them. <laughs> yeah, but he didn't do anything for it. He just happens to turn into a wolf when the moon comes out. No, Big freaking wolf. He didn't wolf. do anything for it. He was attacked by Fenrir Greyback in a battle. <laughs> I don't know Harry Potter very well. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I base everything he, he, I know. One of the Death Eaters is, <laughs> is right a werewolf. Uh, mm-hmm. And he bit. Okay. Um, uh, God, now I'm forgetting. He, yeah, he for, he bit. In the Battle of Hogwarts. No, it was earlier than that, I think, or maybe it was that. Yeah. Well, the point here is that I've demonstrated that I simultaneously know a lot about Harry Potter and nothing. <laughs> Everything I know about werewolves is from Seth Green's character on Buffy. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> there we go. Um, but anyway, so you know, basically, we've just agreed that if Ron Weasley had had a least weasel Lee. Um, (laughs) the Chamber of Secrets would have been no big deal. But here's what I want to know. So I've told you a little bit about how the real animal, the least Weasley... (laughs) (laughs) The least... Now I want to say least Weasley. But the real animal, the least Weasel, can like jump up and bite its prey on the neck or whatever. How would you imagine that Pliny the Elder thinks that least Weasels kill basilisks? Um... By destroying their wedding gowns until they just <laughs> I would say die of by, despair. By diving down their throat and eating their way out. Ooh, Ooh. like a Hercules now, kind of. Now, that's very interesting that you say that. Hercules Ugh. the movie, yeah. Very yeah. interesting yes, that you say yeah, that. Yeah. Because that could come back later, but that's not how Pliny the Elder <laughs> thought that least weasels killed basilisks have i mixed up my greek historians again <laughs> uh well i'll tell you that one is actually an ajib way so that we're going to move oh. to the okay, <laughs> there, okay. It, it, we cross continents with the least weasel mythology mm. it's that it's that ingrained in our cultural Just you know broadly worldwide cultural yeah. consciousness yeah wow. wow um so what would you guess uh that it pecks out its eyes Nope, that would be sensible. Okay. No, that's you're you're mixing that up with phoenixes. Yep, I was like, there is some kind of mythological creature that does that, but Pliny. I mean, I don't know if that's like what Pliny would have said phoenixes do, but that is what happens in Harry Potter. Spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) I've already given my guess. I. Yeah. Um, Okay, so I'll just tell you what Pliny says. Quote: To this dreadful monster, the effluvium of the weasel is fatal. (laughs) (laughs) A thing. Yes, the effluvium. The thing that has been tried with success, for kings have often desired to see its body, meaning the basilisk, when killed. So true it is that it has pleased nature that there should be nothing without its antidote. The animal is thrown into the hole of the basilisk, which is easily known from the soil around it being infected. No explanation of that. (laughs) Sure. Um, The least weasel destroys the basilisk by its odor but it dies itself in this struggle of nature against its own self. Wow. So a least weasel pretty much just poops, and it smells so bad that it kills both the basilisk and the least weasel. <laughs> which which raises a question to me about the specificity of this particular talent, because wouldn't it just kill every living animal? <laughs> you just had lethal shits, yeah. and that's your superpower. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and I, so I, the, there's a particular edition of, uh, Pliny's natural history that it was, you know, there's been many that have been like edited by various scholars over the years. And the, one of the ones I was looking at, uh, it was from 1855 and it has the footnote. There is probably no foundation for this account of the action of the effluvium of the weasel upon the basilisk or any other species of serpent. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I love that that was like, there was like, just so you guys know. This probably isn't how it happens. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, but so, as I said, moving continents and remembering what you said about sort of diving in an orifice, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the Ojibwe believed that the least weasel could kill the dreaded Wendigo giant by rushing up its anus. Oh. And uh, in Inuit mythology, the least weasel is credited with both great wisdom and courage. Um, and basically, anytime uh, in, like, in their sort of myths, if like an Inuit hero. Basically, you know, before he would go do some big trial that required a lot of valor and courage, uh, he would generally change himself into a least weasel before he accomplished that. I guess the last one is um, there was a mention in in this one source. I didn't get too much more information of it, but uh, a witch hunter general (laughs) (laughs) during the English Civil War. So one of the few cabinet positions. Your witch hunter general, your surgeon general. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know if this is, honestly, I don't know if this is a general who is also a witch hunter or the general of the witch hunting corps. I, mm. I don't know. I mean, they're both pretty badass. But it's also, go, go wrong I think way. it's a witch hunting general during the English Civil War, who was a general in the English Civil War who also happened to hunt witches. Okay. Um, uh, according to this guy, uh, Matthew Hopkins, um, he thought that least weasels were the familiars of we- of weasels. Sorry, least weasels were the familiars of witches, which means that they sort of consorted with them. Um, Just imagine a weasel having like a little like a smaller weasel like poof up next to it. Like this is my familiar. Just another smaller weasel. (laughs) Sorry. Like a like a large weasel with a least weasel on its shoulder. This week, I learned that rats suck. They yep. suck. Obviously, they, they suck. But hmm. there's evidence to suggest they were not carriers of the Black Death, the plague that wiped out an estimated 30 to 60% of Europeans in the 14th century. So they may suck slightly less than we thought, but only slightly. All right. So reduction of suckiness. Yeah. Mild one. So, given that we live in New York, despising rats should come as naturally to us as staying to the right of the subway escalator or shoving past unwitting tourists into the taxi they just barely managed to hail. (laughs) But, being ever the contrarian, I searched for a story that might redeem rats, or at the very least, suggest they're not as bad as we think. Um, And I read up on their biology, interactions with humans, impacts in urban environments, all sorts of things. And while they do have a few objectively impressive traits, it seems to me that they only serve to enhance their ability to be a real pain in the collective ass of humanity. <laughs> so to drop a couple of... Not like a least weasel, which is a very serious pain in the, <laughs> in the ass a, of the a, a more, yes, a figurative a versus a literal, Sorry. yes. Um, so to drop a couple of rat stats... Nice. Rat stats. <laughs> That's it. I was like, you're just going to let that one drop, really? <laughs> rat stats. There it is. Uh, so a group of rats, fun fact, is called a mischief 
<laughs> which is cute. Hold on to that feeling. You will never feel it again for the rest of this segment. Uh, there is about one rat per person in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, per measurement taken in 2014. In New York, there's about one rat for every four people. So that's fine. Just so you guys know, I'm not sharing my rat. <laughs> <laughs> it is all yours. <laughs> Um, the most common rat in the city is the brown rat, which has the very regal species name Ratus norvegicus. It's the Norwegian Mm. brown rat. The Norwegian brown rat. Apparently, we used to have black rats as well, which were actually the ones that were thought to be the black death carriers. But apparently, over the past few decades, all the brown rats outcompeted and also just directly, like, slaughtered all the black rats. (laughs) So that's what we're dealing with here. Yikes. Um, You get a least weasel up in here. (laughs) (laughs) Curious to see who would win in that battle. I think, sorry, not to like interject my fact on this fact, but I think that apparently like rats are pretty good at fighting off least weasels, so hmm. it oh, probably dear. wouldn't do anything except kill the basilisks. <laughs> <laughs> if only we had a basilisk infestation issue in New York City. Well, they're swarming the sewers. <laughs> <laughs> apparently. Um, they are also extremely uh, fertile, so... These numbers are pretty distressing and staggering to me. Um, but female rats are receptive to reproducing during a six-hour window that occurs 15 times a year. And in that six-hour window, she can mate as many as 500 times with various males. So it is therefore possible for a rat mom to have 2,000 babies per year at an absolute maximum, bear in wow. mind. And they live on average about one year in New York City, but about two to three years in general. So that's a lot of tiny rats from one... Oh, my... Mama rat. <laughs> That's, I mean, how long is their gestation? Uh, oh, shoot. I think it's two to three weeks, if I recall correctly. Oh, my God. Yeah. And each litter is, uh, can range from six to 20 babies at a time. And they can start reproducing at the ripe young age of five weeks. So they can survive falls of up to 40 feet, fit through quarter-sized openings, what? live off of an ounce of food a day, tread water for three days straight, survive being flushed down the toilet, and then crawl back up the pipes to seek their revenge. Uh, <laughs> like the least weasel. Like the least... Oh, no. Different vibes. <laughs> did not expect that fact to have a callback, but that's our podcast. Um, they carry various pathogens that are transmissible to humans, especially for GI maladies like salmonella, C. diff, E. coli, lots of viruses, fleas, parasites, lovely things. Uh, they are famously voracious in ways ranging from the whimsical, like pizza rat, to the deeply disturbing, um, including overrunning restaurants. This happened in KFC um, this happened at a KFC and a Dunkin' Donuts in the city not too long ago, uh, biting small children, snacking on cadavers and morgues, um, and infiltrating cupcake ATMs, which I remember happened <laughs> oh after God. I had lived here, moved here for like a month, oh and I was no. like, got it. <laughs> like, do, this, is, this is where we're at. Do you want to take a second okay. to explain a cupcake ATM and how truly horrific it would be yeah. unlike, if a rat came out of one? Unlike me, not everyone <laughs> lives a block and a half from a cupcake ATM. <laughs> I, well... I could, ex- I would be able to explain it, but since that happened a month after I moved here, I've never went to one. Oh, okay. So <laughs> that news was enough to put me off forever. <laughs> I can give my my experience. Hmm. Cupcake ATM is a place where you go and you type in a series of numbers, and like a screen pops up and it shows you beautiful cupcakes on a screen, and then you pick the one you want, and then you give them your credit card. So the opposite of an ATM, it takes your money, <laughs> but then like a well, robot. It's, anyway. it's it's a transaction. It's, it's not a withdrawal. <laughs> But what, what are you? You got ATMs just take other people's money, Ralph? <laughs> you take other people's money and their cupcakes. 
But like <laughs> you pick the cupcake you want and then this robot, like robotic arm that you can see through a window sometimes will like reach back into the factory and like they'll they'll actually sometimes have a video camera inside <laughs> and it'll show you the cupcake being like put into a box and covered. And then you see and a then... rat wrestling with the box. <laughs> <Yeah>. No. <laughs> it's like, ah. Well, no, this could be like a ratatouille situation. Like yeah, maybe <laughs> they're the ones making the cupcakes. Like who else is working in the cupcake ATM at one in the morning? Remy! <laughs> Spoiler. yes in this case the rat is a spoiler on your cupcake (laughs) (laughs) okay they're a little bit cute again after that um and just picturing it popping out of a cupcake like a stripper (laughs) (laughs) like (laughs) (laughs) see a slice of pizza in your hand you can eat that (laughs) so um and super squeaky I don't know. I was trying to imagine like what song a rat would strip to. Wait, <laughs> I just came was, up. Super squeak. <laughs> super squeak, eh? Oh. <laughs> I'm on the spot, guys. <laughs> I, think, I, I think you did quite well. <laughs> Le squeak, c'est chic. And the rats in the cradle. And the <laughs> Um, And their sightings are increasing in New York due to various reasons, um, such as sort of gentrification-driven construction unearthing their burrows and climate change-driven mild winters supporting their population growth. So basically, rats are a scourge that we bring upon ourselves, which I guess is poetic, but it would be more poetic if it didn't involve literal hordes of rats. But... As I mentioned, in my sea of mostly horrifying rat-related reading, I did encounter a situation that we've historically blamed on rats, but through contemporary research and computer modeling, are now finding um, that that was maybe not the right thing for us to do. So that situation was the Black Death, uh, the pandemic that killed up to 200 million people in Europe and Asia in the 14th century, and uh, is thought to have been caused by the bacterium Yersinia pestis, which causes various plagues and is commonly carried by fleas, including the sores that are carried by rats and by humans, among other critters, as we'll discuss. Hmm. Um, These flea bites um, introduce the bacteria into our circulation, where uh, they then make themselves at home in the lymph nodes of our immune system and then causing them to swell into these buboes from which the bubonic plague gets its name yummy um so there's a guy named uh niels christian stenseth and he's a professor at the university of oslo and he's led a couple of studies over the past few years that challenge our historical assumptions about the routes and means of transmission of the black death and his lab applies various modern techniques um, synthesizing data from written records global weather patterns uh, sequenced bacterial dna from the remains of plague victims and also computer generated simulations of outbreaks to reconstruct the conditions that gave rise to the original black death um, in the mid-14th century, as well as subsequent recurrences of it in the following centuries. And some of his lab's findings contest our long-held view that it arrived in Europe via flea-ridden rats stowed away on Sicilian merchant ships. So to highlight a few results from his lab that I thought were kind of cool and also suggest against rats being the ultimate culprit to a lot of humanity's demise. Um, So we know that the Black Plague spread to Europe, um, but from Asia by way of the Silk Road, first landing in Italy in the year 1347. Um, And while it was at its peak in terms of lethality around that time, um, as I mentioned before, it also repeatedly flared up in the centuries to follow, even as far into the future as like the mid-1800s. So there were quite a few recurrences of 
the plague. Um, and traditionally, these recurrences were explained by the persistence of these like plague-carrying rat populations in Europe, which, given that we know that they can have... 2,000 babies apiece-ish in their lifetime seems pretty plausible. Basically, the idea was that these rats would just hang out, being assholes, and whenever a flea jumped off of one of them and onto a human, that human sneezed onto another human, and bam, you'd get another outbreak. But in a study uh, from Niels Christian Stenseth's group, published in PNAS, <laughs> Penis. Of course, hey. there we go, in 2015... Ooh. They found some data uh, that conflicted with this story, um, basically by compiling written accounts of the plague and its recurrences and cross-comparing them with records from tree rings that give us some insight into um, medieval climate and weather patterns. And basically, if these rat reservoirs were the source of these recurrent plagues, you'd expect to find them timed with uh, warm, dry European summers, which are which was optimal weather for rat living and rat loving. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> the authors did not find that. Instead, they found some suggestive weather patterns that regularly occurred 15 years before each European outbreak of the plague, not in Europe, but in. Kazakhstan, home to another critter that can carry plague-infested fleas, gerbils. Ah. Specifically, great gerbils. We had these weasels, <laughs> now we have great gerbils. So we are just, you know, including all of the adjectives with our rodents today. So, yeah, basically with regards to these gerbils, um, they captured cycles of warm springs and wet summers in gerbil habitats, um, which would result in population booms for gerbils and thus fleas. The idea being that once things cooled down over subsequent years and the numbers of gerbils subsided, all those extra fleas would need somewhere to go. So they would hitch a ride on humans and domestic animals, spread further throughout Central Asia, and then make their way to Europe and outbreak it up. Um, mm. So that I thought was pretty cool. So in some more recent studies, wherein they compared virtual models of outbreaks, so computer-generated synthetic models, um, again, compared to written records um, from nine major European cities, um, they generated models that would basically sort of uh, simulate these outbreaks if they were transmitted through rats, um, through airborne spread or pneumonic plague, um, or via human parasites, so lice and fleas that, you know, lived on people, especially back then, and jumped from person to person, and found the human parasite-based model um, much more closely resembled the actual recorded dynamics of the disease. So just as another uh, sort of suggestion that rats were not really, at least, you know, the sole perpetrator of the Black Plague. We, and I guess maybe gerbils, had something to do with it. Um, all of this Can is to say that while rats definitely suck, it seems we can't blame them for everything that plagues us. Ooh, nice. <laughs> well, can I just, one criticism mm. I have with this study is I think that he didn't disclose, he and his group didn't disclose a, a major conflict of interest. And that's that they're trying to repair the image of their Norwegian brown rat. Uh, right? Uh, and I know uh, you I know you said that's not the one that carried it, but certainly sure. that they are like implicated by association with other rats. It's probably a PR So this is a group I, from Oslo. <laughs> I don't know if the <laughs> right. right? This is a group from the University I don't know if of the Oslo rats would agree with you, but. in Norway <laughs> that is trying to rehabilitate the image of rats, I think, to make their flagship rat look better. Well, so it's funny you say that, because in reading, I read the, the source articles, but also some press that came out surrounding them, and one of them concluded with the lead author, um, the professor whom I've been referencing, um, actually saying that, you know, we don't have any reason for putting out all of this research that redeems rats, but his exact quote was, we have no dogs in this fight, and I was like, you didn't say that you have no rats in this fight, so <laughs> I don't know about that. 
So can can I also implicate one other um, big mover in the the spread of the medieval Black Death? Absolutely. Um, you may have heard of this, a fellow named Genghis Khan. Ooh. Ooh so okay. there is considerable evidence that Genghis Khan was the first person to engage in large-scale bioterrorism. Wow. And I don't know if yeah. you've heard this, but so essentially the the plague is much older than medieval plagues. The first time it was ever recorded that that can be kind of tracked to this disease is actually the plague of Justinian. It was in the yeah. 500s in Rome. The, the medieval plague was the second pandemic. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And so that means that in 500 or so, it ravaged the Roman Empire and then kind of moved and wasn't in recorded history for a little while, which means it probably went east, where we know it actually has has been a reservoir and has been again. Mm-hmm. Um, but so Genghis Khan knew about the plague, knew people died of the plague, and he had some semblance of an idea that it was contagious. Mm-hmm. And so when he rolled up to a new city, he would take bodies of plague victims and catapult them into the city yeah. to give people the plague so it would kill the residents, and then they could just siege the city and like and roll in. And he did this all get the plague. So for whatever reason, like that should happen. And maybe it did to some degree, like sent in servants to like round up all the bodies, let everything air out for a little while. Like like Genghis strikes me as the type of person that didn't load many catapults himself. I don't want to cast dispersions on the grandfather of everyone in the world. But like, I don't I don't know that he was his hands were so dirty. Uh, but like, so there are a lot of records that like they were flinging bodies in and then everyone got sick and then they just ravaged the city. And that's probably what reintroduced the plague back into like ports in Europe. Wow. Um, also interestingly, that first Justinian plague was the, the, the first time that like epidemiology happened and someone was like, yeah, all these people from Egypt came and the ships had rats and we're all sick. And then I just got a letter from Rome and the ships went there and they're all sick. And I think it's the ships and it might be the rats. <laughs> like was literally like one of the first like accounts of how disease oh, spreads cool. um, from 1500 years ago. So that's wow. really, okay. really cool. I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was... It was Genghis Khan's, like, there's some fact where, like, the global temperature decreased by, like, a degree or two, just by, like, oh, the oh, sheer, like, yeah, speed at which so much of humans of, uh, were, yeah. Right, and it also restored out. all of the forests of, like, Eastern Europe yeah. and, like, I think Central Asia as well, yeah. because of basically all the people who were previously cutting them down that were now dead. Exactly. Like, it, like, re- it, like <laughs> and it, So it was a huge carbon, carbon sink. Sink. Yeah. yeah. They took yeah. a step oh. back. Yeah. <laughs> What? See, now I feel like step, I should have the actual like, facts. Oh, step. S-T-E-P-V-E. <laughs> oh, Dang. that's cute. That's good. So this week I learned hagfish. <laughs> and let's start there. Okay. So, <laughs> so the name is a good place. Uh, if you had to picture a hagfish, um, you could probably picture a garden hose made of leather, uh, with no discernible face. Ooh, that's a nice garden hose. <laughs> it's, oh that's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you pay extra for this one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the word hag, um, in the English language typically refers to an ugly older woman, uh, which I think is an unfair thing in a lot of ways, but specifically, um, it's unfair to compare a hagfish to that because they really don't have a face, uh, or, any, <laughs> or anything that you could even like discern as like comparable. Um, so for, for the nerds listening, leathery skin, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it's everything you ever wanted in a fish. 
Um, but for, for the nerds. <laughs> They're not like, fish. They are fish. Oh. But we'll talk about it. Okay. Yeah, that's actually why they're on my suck list, is because of... <laughs> I really, <laughs> I really don't like that. Okay. that. Yeah. We will change that. <laughs> that's why they're on my, my bad fish list. <laughs> that's why they're on my, uh, my bad list, actually, is because what are hagfish, really? And so um, they're... They're like small, gross snakes with no faces, um, <laughs> and they have. What are you describing? <laughs> so, and it, they're really hard to describe. I encourage everyone listening to Google it when you're not eating, um, <laughs> because hagfish are one of the most primordial, simplest animals in the ocean. Um, so they are in a, a class called the uh, jawless fish. So fish without jaws, no no semblance of a mandible, nothing that closes or clamps, uh, the absence of teeth. And that's quite interesting. That's actually um, jawless fish date back about 540 million years. So we're talking pre-vascular plants, pre-sharks, which we learned is actually earlier than vascular plants yeah. many podcasts hmm. ago. Um, but these things are, these are old and they're simple. Uh, and there's only just like you, Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> hey, re- respect your elders. <laughs> but these are these are ancient ancient animals, and they haven't changed much. Um, and the the real kind of puzzle for archaeologists and biologists is how did they become part of our tree of life? I honestly thought you were going to say where to put them. <laughs> it's like what the hell are archaeologists doing? <laughs> What do they think they are? Archaeologists. Weasels? Yeah. <laughs> It'd be a lot more lubrication for a hagfish, though. It would probably, well, and we'll talk about that, I assure you. <laughs> but so, these very simple organisms, they really behave nothing like modern animals. Reading about them was fascinating. Um, one thing is that they are detritivores. So they eat detritus. They eat decaying animals. And they do it in the most unconventional way. Um, so should an animal like a whale or like a big fish die, a hagfish will crawl inside of the corpse and just sit there. And like a tauntaun. <laughs> like Luke and well, a like tauntaun. Well, like Luke and a tauntaun. Like, yeah. The, hagf- the hagfish is just like, it doesn't smell great, but it'll keep me warm. <laughs> the hagfish is like, whoa, more than that. Oh. Because unlike Luke... The hagfish can absorb nutrients through its skin better than through its intestinal lining. What? Oh, that's wild. So hagfish crawl into decaying matter, and they absorb the nutrients just by sitting there. They wow. literally, like, learn by osmosis. Wow. It's Yeah, it's really fascinating. And so their outer layer, the, the, the skin that they have, the scales, are unlike any other fish in the ocean, except maybe the only other jawless fish lampreys mm-hmm. um, and lampreys are a whole interesting field of study because they are such simple primordial fish their brains are like a, a matter of like really intense study to figure out okay do they have a, a cerebellum like the kind of very simple part of the brain that manages mm-hmm. balance and movement um, and the answer is not really it's integrated into their midbrain it's like not separated it's mm-hmm. just like in there uh, which is so unlike many other, even like many other fish brains. Uh, and fish brains is an insult because these things are probably really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but so for, for any neuroscientists out there, their brains are so old that their axons are not myelinated. 
Your brains are so old. <laughs> waiting for Your that. axons don't have myelin. <laughs> I mean, laugh all you want. That's crazy. Wow, I bet your brains are so old you don't even generate action potentials. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> but so in in evolution, um, they stand completely alone. And there's there's a family called the ostracoderms, which are the precursors to all bony fish. Hagfish are soft fish. They are sort of like uh, the cartilaginous fish. Um, but what makes them super interesting is that they have um, a, a skull, no jaw, and no spinal column. Wow. So they're in the family of chordates, things that have a spinal cord, but there's nothing supporting or protecting that spinal cord. Um, and they have... Things like cartilaginous things that are sort of that are sort of where vertebra would be, but they don't really look like vertebra. They're the furthest thing from vertebra that have ever been discovered. Yet they've been classified into the vertebrate family. And that's where I have a problem with hagfish. Oh man. Because guess who did his entire PhD on the spine? Was it you, Reb? It was me. It was this guy. Uh, And if you have like a cartilaginous blob where you're supposed to have a spine. I say get out of the vertebrate family. Well, like Ted Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> so where to put hagfish has been an evolutionary. <laughs> this was a really <laughs> rough transition. <laughs> um, where to place hagfish. That's even worse. But it makes it so easy to see, though. Like someone holding one, like, what, where do I put this? <laughs> do I, do I have an idea. <laughs> they are lubricated. <laughs> So how to classify? We keep hagfish. we keep we keep saying they're lubricated, but Rob hasn't gotten to the point <laughs> where know. hagfish produce all this slime. Maybe if you've heard of hagfish, the thing you've heard about is that they produce slime, and I assure you, we will talk about it. Um, but but give me just a, a mere moment to to complete my rant against the fake vertebrates, the hagfish. Um, so the question is kind of where do they belong in in evolution? Uh, how do we classify them? And so they're in the vertebrate family, and what what the current like prevailing theory is is that they came from the same lineage as the cartilaginous and then bony fish and then they subsequently lost all of their vertebra that they actually evolved to be more flexible and less stiff and that was their advantage and it's an unprecedented case of character loss like of anything that we consider like a, a characteristic of a, of a modern animal, of a tetrapod, essentially. Like, they were the precursors to all tetrapods, four-legged animals, humans. And they are just like, yeah, bones? No. Like, just <laughs> cut it out. Like, we were going we're gonna to become, like, eels or worms. Just to bring in Harry Potter again, I kind of <laughs> feel like that's what Gilderoy Lockhart did to Harry Potter's arm after he fell that's a in that Quidditch match. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so what we need to do is give these hagfish Skelligro. Ooh, mm-hmm. that there would that would fix them up. Yeah, Madame Pomfrey has got it on lock. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but so the kind of the the downer about hagfish is that for a long time scientists or some scientists thought these are these are the missing link. These are the animals before vertebrates happened, and they kind of fill in this space between vertebrates and whatever came before. And in fact a lot of genomic evidence and specifically there's one study published in can anybody guess penis penis of course 
There it is. A 2010 study looked at their genomes and a lot of their features and said, no, they definitely are more similar to later vertebrates than they are to like proto vertebrates. And so that they lost their characteristics. And this kind of ended uh, a very long scientific argument, almost like 100 years old of did they come before or after like um, cartilaginous fish, Uh, which is really, really like... I think is such a cool example of genetics kind of helping to solve something that just looking at characteristics alone would never do. Um, okay, so I can tell everybody wants it. Do you want to talk about the slime? Slime! Yeah. What are yeah. we here for? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so hagfish slime is also just absolutely fascinating. And I, if you guys looked into it at all, like feel free to jump in here. Um, it's released in very small amounts from their skin. So they exude this kind of protective slime. And they can release as little as 40 milligrams, like a teaspoon of it. Um, and when it's released into water, it expands. It's hygroscopic. So the, the material of the slime pulls in water um, to kind of fill in osmotic pressure. And it can expand thousands of times. So that teaspoon wow. could fill a bucket mm-hmm. in a matter of seconds. Huh. The expansion of hagfish slime is unlike any synthetic compound that humans have ever made. And humans are notoriously gooey. <laughs> <laughs> Just in general. <laughs> um, there, there's a famous picture that after after a flood, a hagfish got into a, I think it was like a Nissan Ultima. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. And then someone startled it, and it released. No, it was a, it was a wreck, wasn't it? It was, some, it was a car crash on the side of the road, and I think it was, I don't know if it was like a oh, truck Oh, and they were them. carrying hagfish Yeah, or yeah, something. and they all spilled out oh, on the road. Yeah. And it was yeah. in just this ridiculous web of like, you know, like very, pretty respectable tensile strength snot. Yeah. Um, that was just covering the entire roadway and then just dead hagfish. Some flopping. Yes. Yeah. Mm. That's exactly what it was. And thank you, Noah. Yeah. <laughs> you got it. But there, there are these amazing pictures of just like a road covered in goo. Yeah. And it's so crazy. And so the, the two things I want to mention is that the slime itself is actually not sticky, but it, it does have incredible tensile strength. And so the, the tricky thing is if the fish kind of gets you, like with its slime, you'll be stuck in the web, not because it's sticking to you, but because all of a sudden you are covered in mm-hmm. what's essentially just like a wet spider web and you can't <laughs> yeah. get out. Um, and the second thing is the tensile properties are so impressive. It's actually the subject of much study. And so I was reading on the website of Chapman University professor Doug Fudge. <laughs> <laughs> Which I loved. And and the the fudge lab. Like Cornelius Fudge from Harry Potter, guys. That's not Harry Potter. Oh, it is. I'm sorry. Harry Potter. Sorry. I was thinking of Augustus. Tell me what's Harry Potter. Oh, dear. You're totally right. I'm totally wrong. I retract everything. Doug Fudge. That's just his brother. That's his muggle brother. (laughs) Well, this guy. Is pretty magical. Okay. Because the Fudge Lab studies properties. Fudge Lab. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, they look like a cool lab, and I actually want to visit them. Yeah. Because, like, they do biomechanics and stuff that, like, I know a little Very bit cool. about. And I could, like, almost send a professional email to this guy to say, like, can I come visit? Not just for my podcast. To talk about <laughs> the Fudge Lab. <laughs> But they do all kinds of cool research about hagfish and about the materials that you could make if we were able to, like, synthesize the slime. Because it's biological. You can do it with proteins. And so it should be, like, a cheap and easy material. And so they're looking into, like, kind of this untapped resource of hagfish slime. 
Very cool. Nice. Yeah. All for biomimicry. Um, but actually, to go back to their vertebrae, or I guess lack thereof, for a minute. So I had read, too, that the way that hagfish sort of, like, escape their own defense mechanism is by tying themselves into knots and then sort of, like, sliding, like, the bulk of their body, like, through Ooh, that knot out get the of slime the off. slime, mm-hmm. which I imagine would be more difficult to do, or I guess, like, they would have less, less flexibility to be able to do that if they had more rigid vertebra, so... I guess, I mean, I don't know. I feel like if you can tie yourself into a knot, then I'd be like, okay, that's, you don't need a spine. Like, you, you know, you've earned it. <laughs> All right, and that leaves us with today's animal quiz. So I figured what would be the best way to test your knowledge of animals than by looking at the news. I found eight newsworthy stories about different animals now, sometimes I think it'll be kind of obvious, but sometimes I think it's actually pretty hard to guess just by the story what the animal is. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the genus name. No, sorry. I'm going to give you the species name of the animal. And if that's not enough, I'll give you the genus name. Usually the genus name is a little bit of a giveaway. Um, so I'm hoping that just the the fact and the species name will be able to get you where you need to go. Okay. Sure. Uh, but the genus is available. So... Your eight-question animal quiz begins. In this past August, CNN ran a story about what animal passing in front of a golfer who then chipped a shot over the animal. Oh, and the species okay. name. So genus, whatever, species Mississippiensis. All right, okay. what I was going to say, let me just go ahead. Sure. So it's got to be something. I'm imagining if you had to chip it over something, it implies that he would have just hit it along the ground. Okay? So this is probably something yeah. that like walked in front of the path that they were going to putt. Yes. And it just like sat down. Also, Mississippiensis is geographical. And right. that to me suggests that it's maybe like a crocodile or an alligator. Oh, that's better. I was going to say a turtle, but I actually like that a lot more. Yeah, that's my vibe. And we I'm also sure. have to decide between crocodile and alligator. Cause that well, that was my main issue. Because there's, yeah, the only distinguishing feature I remember learning in like elementary school is by their snout. But that does not help us here. Which oh. snout is more feasible to putt over? No, I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of it you'd have to chip over. I'm, uh, what do you, you want to say? Chip. Let's just say uh, br- uh, umbrella term that encompasses uh, alligators, crocodiles, and caimans. <laughs> what do you think? I, well, we'll see if the, uh, if the host takes it. So you're giving me all sorts of large reptilians. All ki- all, everything that I think is in the crocodilia family. Okay. Right. I think yeah. we are. Actually, I think we yeah. can accept that. All right. Yeah. So it was the genus alligator Mississippiensis. All right. Cool. Yeah. Which is the most common kind so it's of the south, alligator. Yes. Okay. The main Southeastern alligator, alligator that people think of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And there's a wonderful video. Um, can you guess what state this is in? Mississippi? Is it Missis- no, yeah. it's Florida. Florida, <laughs> Florida man. Florida shot over alligator. <laughs> of course. Like, how Florida can you get? <laughs> Um, it's really I saw, I saw, slow day for Florida man. <laughs> that's it, yeah. Um, true story. Have slapped an alligator tail in my life. Really? Yes. Well, you know, well what's that a euphemism for? In, <laughs> <laughs> but no, you're, it was on a bike ride through the Everglades, and you keep one foot on the pedal. You slap the tail, and you jump on the bike. Really? And you hope you don't die before you get to start pedaling again. <laughs> yeah. They you actually start on a hill. That's a smart. Oh. Well, it's Florida. It's super flat. Well, you gotta tell the gator to go to a hill. <laughs> <laughs> you carry the gator to a hill. You slap it. Slap it. You still. slap it, and then you run up the hill, and it chases you. You get on the bike and ride down past it. <laughs> and it's like, damn it! You're like uh, foiled again. 
<laughs> so in in your thinking, this happens to the gator quite a lot. It's I like, think. Damn so. it! You would have thought I would learn. <laughs> I think it's just like stupid humans. <laughs> All right. Question number two. This past summer, the Toledo Zoo had two animals die, and this is actually a sad story, led to the suspicion that there might be a disease or something wrong with the care of the animals, because those two are the third and fourth of the species to die in the last three years. Uh, This prompted a lot of outrage. The species name is Camelopardalis. I mean, other than just camel, I don't know what to say. Yeah. I I mean, I I feel like that's the simplest guess. I, yeah, I would agree with that. I think their genus is like, it's... Something dromedary sounding, right? Dromedary. Well, there. Mm-hmm. That's one of the kinds. Okay. I don't know if that's the genus name. Right, right, right. That's true. Um, I mean, yeah. My, I don't know. My only inclination would be camel, based on that. So, so. yeah, and I'll direct you to the the species. Actually, has it's. If you think about it in another way, like camel leopardalis might be helpful because oh, it's a giraffe. Ah, yes, it is the oh. giraffa camelopardalis. Because that's what. That's basically people thought that a giraffe, like back in the Pliny days, people thought that a yeah. giraffe was some some sort of like mm-hmm. mating between a, like a like a camel and a and a leopard because of its color and its general yeah appearance. so gotcha. ungulate in form but spotted in nature uh, yeah and so unfortunately the Toledo Zoo had two giraffes die this past year that's so sad um, yeah. yeah and they only have one mating male remaining um, so it's kind of a big problem for them so they are reevaluating. Whether they should bring in new giraffes, whether they should do whether they should do additional health testing, um, that was kind of the probably the saddest fact that I have here. But also the only way I was going to get camels into this quiz. So <laughs> sorry, the only way I was going to get giraffes into this quiz. <laughs> okay. Okay. Question number three: In July of 2019, what type of animal stole the contents of a dumpster from a marijuana dispensary in Colorado? <laughs> I, I think I know. This. Isn't it yeah. a bear? It is. It, yeah. Like it, I, there's a video of a bear. That is like just there's a dumpster on wheels and it's kind of just taking the dumpster like through a door in a mm-hmm. fence like it's like outside it's just like this is mine now. <laughs> so so it's initially trying to get into the dumpster it can't really get in and then you see it kind of step back for a second and then it stands up and it rolls the dumpster out the exit. <laughs> it's like, I'll just grab the whole thing figure it out later. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's That's such great. a good video. Um, so it's unclear whether it's an American black bear or a grizzly bear. So it is um, either species Arctos or Americus, but it is definitely the genus Ursus. Okay. Yeah. So okay. in the bear fam. Gotcha. All right. Question number four. Last October, the CDC released a report. Erroneous media report. <clears throat> Erroneous media reports about blank and Halloween costumes in which it detailed how there was no risk of contracting salmonella if you dressed up what animals for Halloween? Turtles or tortoises? What? And they, that, they have salmonella? Is that a thing? Yeah. Then that sounds like a great answer. And so I can give you the species. Okay. So okay. it's Gallus domesticus. Okay, it's chickens. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> yeah. You <and> fool. <laughs> they do, though. But yes, And continue. so apparently the CDC, there are a lot of false because, reports. Oh, because the Silicon Valley people that have all their fancy chickens. And, oh, perhaps. Yeah. I don't okay. actually know what spawned all these reports, but people were like, you shouldn't mm. dress up your chicken. You'll get salmonella. It's gotta what? be. And the CDC took it upon themselves to say, no, you can dress up your chicken. Please <laughs> feel please free. And please do and send us pictures. However, yeah. they, they, posted, they posted this uh, with some common sense reminders, such as keep chickens outdoors. Never bring them in your house. Don't eat or drink in the area where your birds live in Rome. And my favorite... Don't kiss your birds or snuggle them and then touch your face or mouth. But what if my birds don't live in Rome? 
So question number five. This one is a non-traditional quiz question um, because I found this fact and it was so interesting and I wanted to include as much of it as I could. And so here's how it's going to work. Last December, PETA called for the elimination of phrases that legitimized cruelty to animals. Um, So in some cases, they suggested other existing phrases with a similar meaning, and sometimes they just created their own new phrase that they thought would work better. (laughs) So for instance, instead of beat a dead horse, they encouraged the use of the phrase, don't feed a fed horse. (laughs) (laughs) And that one kind of works like metrically. It's definitely logical. Um, But I'm giving you five more phrases that they encourage you to use. And I'd like you to just tell me um, what the original phrase was. So this is the rest of the quiz. Okay. No, this this is just question five. Okay. Yeah. So you have to get five out of five correct in order to win. (laughs) Okay. Okay. All right. So, but I think uh, the thing is, I think they're pretty straightforward, but there are a couple that are a little, little odd. Okay. Okay. So part five, a (laughs) feeding two birds with one scone, killing two (laughs) birds with one stone. (laughs) Yes. Very good. Okay. Five B. Take the flower by the thorns. Oh, take, take the, the bull, bull by the yeah. horns. Yeah, okay. take the bull by the horns. But that that doesn't translate in terms of meaning, though. Yes, you have. Why not oh. just say rose by the thorns? Like the flower part just throws everything off. Yeah, I know. Except yeah. that, and I don't think they know this, but roses don't actually have thorns; they have <laughs> prickles. Waiting for yes. this. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they did, and that's why they that's, didn't say it that way. Yeah, maybe they did know that. As long as they couldn't think of any <laughs> plant. That, yeah. <laughs> All right, number plant. three. They could take the plant by the thorns, could have said. That would have worked. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> All right, number three. Bring home the bagels. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think we get it. Yeah, bring home the bacon. That's it. Okay. Yes. <laughs> All right, 5D. To be, this one's a little tricky. To be the test tube. Um, lab rat, guinea pig. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. oh yeah, yeah. To be the a guinea lab, pig. Or, right. Yeah, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I feel both. like those yeah. are both expressions. Either yeah. one okay. would work. Yeah. Yeah. And then number f- or five dash e. Don't put all your berries in one bowl. Eggs in one basket. That's yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Which took me a minute to realize. <laughs> even eggs are a problem if you're in PETA. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah. So put all. Don't okay. put all your berries in one bowl. And the weird thing is, they all sound like. I mean, they don't all sound like totally legitimate phrases yet. <laughs> bring home the bagels as a nice kind I mean, of I do like bring home the bagels. I might use that one. Yeah. Thanks, Peta. Yeah. Now you can be sensitive to all living things except plants. <laughs> so question number six. Uh, you guys ran that last question. Got number five correct. All question right. number six. A study published in May in Environment International found that after sampling what animals in rural Suffolk, England, all contained amounts of cocaine and ketamine. And the species name is Pulex. It's going to be a fish, I bet. Oh, yep. Uh, like a salmon? Is, they have salmon? Or, oh, wait, hang on. Sorry. Uh, trout? What was the place again? I feel like it's a trout. Suffolk, England. Suffolk, England. So I'd heard about this happening with um, like shellfish and mollusks mm, because when they filter, filter yeah. water, they can yeah um, accumulate these sorts of chemicals. So maybe oysters or, or they, they definitely do like or... crabs and stuff too. Oh, Okay. Yeah, so if your Latin is sharp, Pulex is actually a hint. Let's just assume it isn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the genus is Gamerus Pulex. Gamerus. Also a good Latin clue, but I guess that's not helpful if you're not a Latin scholar. <laughs> nope, doesn't help. I think, no. I think let's go with what you thought, like clam or something. 
Is it shrimp? Yes, it is. <gasps> yes. From Oh, gambas, gambas a la plancha. Yeah. <laughs> like from gambas, yes. Nice. <laughs> yeah, so... I was thinking like tapas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> gambas a la plancha. It's like well, a tapas well, thing, yeah. Of course, yeah, yeah, same yeah, word. Same so yeah, gamaris is la- uh, Latin for lobster, and pulex is Latin for flea. So it's lobster oh, flea. Oh, yeah. interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, this is an amazing study where they actually went through the countrysides of Suffolk. Um, they collected um, all these different samples, and they found that they all have just an insane amount of cocaine, <laughs> like in their shells, like just like kind of as like biodeposited into them. Um, so it is a study called the Biomonitoring of Pesticides, Pharmaceuticals, and Illicit Drugs in a Freshwater Invertebrate to Estimate Toxic uh, or Effect Pressure, um, and. It's an interesting question of where cocaine and ketamine are getting into local, like, freshwater rivers in Suffolk. But uh, the world may never know. (laughs) All right, two questions to go. This year, a zoo in Heidelberg, Germany, counted the animals in one of their enclosures and were surprised to find an extra. Um, So what non-European species wound up in the zoo? The species name is Lotor. So it it was an interloper, not... A surprise baby. Right, exactly. It was an extra adult. Were the other adults European? No, so the entire species is not native to Europe. Gotcha. Okay. Yes. Okay, okay. All right, we need the genus. The genus is Procyon. Oh. Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) That somehow made it worse. Um, (laughs) And so I can tell you, they're not native to Europe, but I can tell you where they are native to. Okay. Okay. The Americas. Okay. And they were much in style in the 1800s, which is why... Okay, is it going to be pigeons? <laughs> Ooh, no, but... Well, no, those guys are extinct. The but, well, the fancy pigeons aren't. That's the pigeons we have on the street. Oh, mm. right, right. The, I see. Yes, they yeah. were... Unvoted. But I guess they wouldn't yes. have those in a yes, zoo, yes. would they? Probably I mean, not. So th- these are animals that I completely take for granted, and m- many North Americans do, but would totally be cool to look at if you'd never seen one. Um, that, okay, so they're from this ish part of the americas for sure yeah okay <laughs> like some sort of like raccoon or something i know <laughs> why do you say that okay. or a possum maybe uh, or i mean because of its like face pattern you know because of the like black and white coloring mm-hmm. so it's a raccoon it's i a, bet yeah oh it is a raccoon it yeah. is yeah it is a raccoon nice. okay <laughs> yeah i thought and, the genus species was trash panda that well that was <laughs> yeah like the panda very interesting to look at that's what but, it translates uh, to it yeah makes sense <laughs> Um, but so they were they were actually shipped to Europe to make um, pelt farms. So you could oh. grow raccoons oh. and get uh, raccoon pelts and mm. raccoon tails and such. So they, a few of them escaped from their captivity. And this one made its way into the zoo. And so the zookeeper said that that raccoon can um, remain in the zoo. And actually that he must remain in the zoo because they are an invasive species and they must be controlled. Um, and so the only uh, stipulation of his remaining with his friends is that he must be castrated. If I was given that choice, I would never see you guys again. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. Sorry. (laughs) All right. The eighth and final question of our animal quiz. Uh, In May of 2019, a woman in Norway dropped her phone and it was miraculously returned by an animal. The twist, the theory, is that it was also a Russian spy. Oh, it was a narwhal or something or like a a pilot whale or something. Oh, you're very close. So she did drop beluga? it. A beluga whale. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> she dropped her phone into the ocean. Yeah. 
and was like nuts. And then a beluga whale popped up with their phone, <laughs> like a communist, like a USSR flag tattooed into it. This is ringing. I think it's for you. <laughs> and so the reason this theory exists is because a week before. A, another beluga was spotted like swimming up to a boat and it had like straps around it. Uh, and they thought, oh. oh, this looks like it's being trained for something. And they figured it was communist activity or no, no, something. No. It was phone retrieval. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's actually like, well, do you know how many phones are in the bottom of the ocean? Um, and it's just the beluga being like, take your shit back. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need more of this. Jeez. <laughs> but yeah, this was a beluga whale. Um, so that is genus Delphinapterus lucus. Mm. Yeah. So. Cool. And it's probably so not white, a spy. white dolphin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, white dolphin without wings, in mm. fact. <laughs> All right. So nicely done, guys. That was my animal quiz. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. All right, everybody. Well, that's our show. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode, and then two weeks after that, you will hear our live show from Caveat. So make sure you get tickets now. That is on October twenty second on the Lower East Side. Uh, it'll be a ton of fun. We can't wait to see you there. Uh, in the meantime, come check us out on Facebook at Fax Machine Podcast and on Twitter and Instagram at Fax Machine Pod. Fax Machine is hosted and written by Noah Guyberson, Emily Costa, and Rob Frawley, and was edited by Noah Guyberson. Theme music is by AC Antonelli, and our logo was designed by Mike Zola. Bye. Bye. Bye.